Welcome to the Miles Pike Podcast, a podcast that strives to foster excellence in gospel music, both on the stage and in the local church, through conversations. I'm your host, Miles Pike. I'm hoping to probe into the lives and minds of gospel artists, industry legends, and some frontline people on the worship scene. Guests include fellow artists, pastors, session players, producers, songwriters, comedians, radio personalities, and theologians. Subscribe to not miss an episode. Share on social media with the musicians, pastors, and music ministers in your life. And please rate and comment to help take us all the way to being able to say that dozens and dozens are listening. Thank you for taking time to join in on the conversation. Now on to the program. Tommy Cooper is maybe a name you don't know, but when it comes to longevity and diversity on the Nashville recording scene, you don't get much better than Tommy. He's not only a recording aficionado, but he can play multiple brass instruments, numerous guitars, piano, tuned cowbells, and a 12-foot alpine horn, to name a few. Last time we got into his history and how he ended up living the music dream. Today we'll dive into some nuts and bolts aspects of the recording process. I believe anyone you know who is an aspiring musician would greatly benefit from this episode, so please consider sharing it with them. But before you assume it's not for you, do you know what a producer actually does? What is overdubbing? What does it mean to master a project? These and many others are terms we hear in common cultural references, but today you get a tutorial on what they mean from someone who knows as well as anyone how to tell you. Join me behind the scenes in AFAB Studio in Nashville, Tennessee for a conversation with the eclectic, indefatigable, eccentric Tommy Cooper. I didn't know any of this until I was way over my head. Um, And I know there's maybe some aspiring artists listening to the podcast who this would benefit and maybe just some people who have heard part of our conversation and heard some terms that they didn't quite know what it was. So um, in terms of uh, being a producer, um, I have thought of it this way. Now, I've never heard anybody else give this definition, but I have always said that a producer is to an album what a director is to a movie would you say that's 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 pretty accurate um yeah so yeah you're trying to get the performance out of the out of the uh artist or 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 like a director getting the performance out of the actor and and to be sure it's the best representation on on recording Right, I, I think that I think that's accurate to to a point. Now, in the movie business, though, the director is pretty much he's he's a creative, you know, and he and he has and he is involved in the administration some, but in in making records, making albums, uh, the job of the role of producer is. Uh, of course, creative, but also administrative, and yeah, yeah. and and and, and that's the that's the not fun part, you know, figuring out <laughs> budgets and figuring out what this is going to cost, and uh, okay, well, here's what the artist has given me to work with, and here's what I here's what 
I would like to do, but it's going to cost like three times what the artist has to work with. So, where, you know, where do, we, where do we cut corners? What can we do? What can we do to, to, to bring this thing in? You know, where, where, where can we find a double bell tippany player? <laughs> you know, right. Logistics, logistics. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but but yeah, you're right. Um, it's, it, it, I think ma- making the analogy, for the most part, to a, a producer for records, is 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 what like a director for a movie. And I think that's a, that's pretty you know it's pretty accurate. Okay. Now, what about an engineer? What does an engineer do? I mean, do you get to pull the you know the chain? I mean, <laughs> for break. Yes, lunch. Well, you do. You do. That's one of my favorite things. In fact, when I was one of the first, first things I learned how to do it, Web 4 was. Okay, no. Um, <laughs> well, where, where, a, uh, where the producer's job is sort of administrative creative, the engineer is more technical. And, but there's there's some creativeness in in engineering too because a lot of times engineers come up with stuff that the producer didn't really even know about or didn't yeah. really, wasn't really thinking about but just the way they may come up with a sound or may make may suggest a particular effect or whatever uh, so there's there's a, a good a, a, a real a great degree of creativity in the engineering role as well. As the technical, but basically, the engineer's job and and uh, is to make what the producer is hearing in his head come out of the speakers. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now, is the engineer the one who chooses the mics for a particular session? Like we're going for this sound, and so for the drums, they'll put this mic, and the you know the... for the for the most part. But you know, it depends on what kind of. What, what kind of producer you're working with because producers usually come out of either, they're either uh, artists, former artists or, uh-huh. or current artists or they might be songwriters or they might have gotten, they might have gotten started like I did as an engineer. So they've got some engineering chops. They kind of know something about microphones and they may have some specific, hey, I want you to use this microphone on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In which if a producer says, use this microphone, then I'm saying, sounds great to me. Okay. Um, but I also know that if for some reason that microphone doesn't work out, well, here's what my go-to would be. At least I have a suggestion. You know, if we're not liking this, I know what I can pull out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, because it, it's, it doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to work. You, you know, hey, this would be the great microphone for that. And you put it up there and it's like, well... It's not as great as I thought it was going to be. What else we got? (laughs) Yeah. Now, what's a session? That's a common term thrown around, but I didn't know what it was until I got there. Uh, uh, Basically, a a recording session is any gathering of people working on a common recording project. You know. Now, Nashville has established a three-hour-long standard for sessions, but that's okay. not necessarily the way it is. It's done everywhere, but that's the way they do it here. So uh, let's just talk about Nashville sessions. Back in the day, um, when Nashville was first starting to become a burgeoning recording community, uh, somebody figured out, well, we got a lot of people, you know, a lot of musicians here who are working on a lot of different projects at a lot of different studios, and it'd be so much easier to schedule this stuff if we put this, if we put these things, if we, if, if, 
if we had a standard schedule. So mm-hmm. according to the musicians of musicians union dictates that recording sessions should be three hours long. So I say, okay, so we'll have a three hour session that starts at 10 o'clock and then you can work until one and take lunch and then come back and do another three hour session from two o'clock to five. And yeah. then if you're not done, you want to take a, take a dinner break, come back at six and do one from six to nine. If you're going to do three sessions in a day. Okay. So yeah. uh, that way you could have, you could have a, 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 like a guitar player that you wanted to use. He says, well, I'm booked on a morning session, but I can be there in the afternoon. Say, so, okay, mm-hmm. well, we'll, we'll do the stuff that we don't need you on on our morning session and then save the songs that we need you for for our afternoon session. You know, so okay. it, 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 it made it easier for people to, to navigate and, and work out the logistics of lots of people, lots of different people working on projects. That was, the th- that was the thing that was interesting to me when I came to Nashville. When I was in Atlanta, you know, if we did an, if we did an album at, 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 at Web 4, most of the time it started there and it ended there. You know, we were the guys who were work. We were the only guys who were working on the album. It wasn't like going out of our studio and going someone somewhere else for someone else to work on it at another studio. Yeah. Everything was everything was coming to us. So when I came up here and I find that all of a sudden projects are being worked on all over town. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That uh, you know that was that was that was a really different kind of. In Atlanta, we didn't have some recording sessions. In Atlanta, we'd get to the studio about ten o'clock in the morning. And we'd work for a while and take lunch, maybe around two. And or but if we were really on a roll, we'd work until you know four or five before we took lunch. You know, we we didn't we we, we didn't have those constraints, and I think other record, recording communities don't have those constraints. But Nashville pretty much does, and you know, like I say, it's a uh, it's it's a convenient way to make scheduling possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, so does but, that answer your question? What a session is? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I didn't realize that that wasn't the case everywhere. So right. I, yeah. I, I'm even learning stuff here. Um, so session players generally you have keys. So uh, you know, like piano, organ. Yeah. Somebody comes I mean, and you, does that, and then you have. Oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, you, you, your typical, your typical uh, session. Session for like a country record or a southern gospel record is going to have drums, bass, piano, and guitar. Now, depending on the needs of the project, depending on you know exactly what the project is, you may work with two guitar players. One guy playing acoustic all the time. One one guy playing electric. You may bring in a fiddle player. You may want a track with fiddle or track with steel guitar. Or if you're on a budget um, like me, you bring in Bruce Watkins, who plays everything, and you just work him to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and that's why, you know, guys like that are, 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 so, are so great, particularly when, when you're working with limited budgets, because you can get them come in, and you can get an awful lot of bang for your buck. And yeah, they play yeah. all the instruments well, whether it's Bruce or Wanda Vick or, you know, any of those folks who are just multi-instrumentalists like that. Um, oh, Jeff Taylor is a gem, you know, because he's a he's a out of the box, you know, guy. I mean, he, he's 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 our keys guy, but you know, he was the the session leader, and you know, you didn't know if he's going to pull out a, a penny whistle, an accordion, a, 
the organ keyboard mandolin or, or what yeah but. jeff jeff's 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 a force uh, <laughs> or, or a marxophone and, go look that up <laughs> yeah i know all about the marxophone marxophone yeah. uh well, you, but, you play a little bit of everything kind of like Jeff in terms of just, you know, give you some time well, with it and you can figure it out. And I think um, that's one of the reasons, one, one of the things that, that, that one of the reasons we kind of hit it off. I remember him saying to me one time, he said, well, how'd you learn how to play those, those tuned cowbells, the stuff I do for the German, with the German band? I said, <laughs> somebody handed them to me and said, play this. <laughs> and he just laughed. He says, he said, you're my kind of guy. <laughs> yep. Because that's, that's the way he learned how to do all the stuff that he learned. Somebody says, here, play this. And well, he figured la- out how to do it. Yeah, the last session we did, he walks in with a hurdy-gurdy, has yeah. never played it, and he spends five minutes tuning it and another five minutes, you know, fiddling with it and then plays it on the on the track. Right. You know, right. so, yeah, he, he's a he's a freak. And Yeah, um, now, that, now that I've mastered this instrument, what, what uh, else you got? Yeah, what else yeah. you need? Yeah. Now, so what does a session leader do? Well, a session leader is um, basically... And this this kind of this this kind of gets into protocol, you know, the, the the Nashville session protocol. The session leader is basically the conduit between the producer and the musicians. Now, what that means is like the, if you're doing everything by the book, and the producer is hearing something he would like to suggest to to the players on the floor, then he basically says this to the session leader, and the session leader re- relays that to the players on the floor. It's not that stringent, though. But basically, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not not anymore because I mean, come on, life's too short. You guys say, hey, hey, guitar player, I got an idea. Hey, could you do this? <laughs> you know, I don't have to get Jeff to tell him that. Um, so, uh, but you know, and, and, and when we're talking about Jeff, and Jeff's a keyboard player, and because so much of the stuff that I do is gospel, and gospel, so much of the gospel stuff is keyboard driven, I will usually have a piano player as my session leader. Uh, okay. You know, I've used I've used Gary Prim, uh, who is a fabulous session leader, um, and of course, you know, we were just been talking about Jeff. Um, I've used Jason Webb, uh, all these guys who are just you know great musicians, and they understand how to make records, and that's you know. That's something. I mean, you can be a great musician and be a great player and have a and have and have a tremendous technical mastery of your instrument. But if you don't understand how to make records and what you're and and identifying the role that your instrument needs to play and realizing that you don't have to play all the time, you can lay out in places. You can you know you can play just softly in places and then identify the places where you need to stick out a little bit and you know go for it in those places. These guys understand. That they understand. I mean, and, and I'm not talking about just session leaders. The, but you know, all the session players they understand that they are that they're playing a part. They're part of the puzzle, and and so they figure out how to fit in to the puzzle that becomes the that becomes the the, the record. So the session leader, basically, to go back to the original question. Uh, is usually in my case with with gospel stuff. He's he's going to be the keyboard player, and I'll send him demos of the stuff that we're going to do, the t- the tunes that we've decided to do, and he will write the charts. Uh, mm-hmm. In most cases, I've written I've written a few charts. In some cases, where I had you know specific ideas about what I wanted to do, 
And I would think, okay, well, what, rather than try to relay this to somebody, I can write a chart. I can write it, and you know, and 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 make that work. Yeah. But most, mm-hmm. but it, but in most cases, you know, he's going to write the, you know, he's going to write all the charts. He'll distribute them to the band, uh, and he directs the rehearsal as, hey, hey, what song we're going to do now? Oh, we're going to do how great they are. Okay, here you go, guys. We're going to go do how great they are in the key of A flat, and uh, so. Let's. Let, what, what kind of ideas do we have? Hey, we start out like this, blah blah blah, and everybody kind of starts chiming in with their ideas, and and they all just kind of and that's and that's one of the magical, beautiful things about working with these great players that we have here in this town is the way that they work together and sort of weave in and out of of of. The, you know their ideas kind of weave in and out of these of, of these rehearsals, so that you know in and, and incredibly fast. You know, ten minutes oh, after, after they've pulled after they've pulled out the tune, they're ready to cut. Oh yeah, yeah. And and the first time through, any any average Joe's going to be like that was incredible. And then they'll spend the next fifteen minutes, you know, tightening it up, you know, by fixing a note. You know, right. adding a, a little different riff here or something, yeah. or a different chord progression, and you know, it's it's it is an amazing process to watch. It's one of my favorite things, and it's it's a good thing I don't have you know a whole lot of money because I would just record stuff, and, and whether I sang it or not, it would just I would love to just go and watch them do that. But uh, a, a couple of things I had, had jotted down. Uh, Jeff Taylor actually told me, uh, he, uh, you know, was talking about pithy advice for young players. Um, the question was asked, "How do you come up with a great part?" And Kenny Malone, you, I don't know if you know him, but he was a yeah. legendary session drummer, said, right. I've got one rule. It's got to be better than silence. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Gordon Moat, when he was asked about improvisation, uh, he answered, if you have to think about it, it's too late. <laughs> yeah. And that and that's right. so true of, of the Nashville players. They... They work so well in silence and around silence, and you know it's so fast, so intuitive to them. They yeah. don't they don't stop to think about it; it just happens. You know, it falls falls out of their fingers. You know, uh-huh. so it's um it's really a fun process. Um, now moving through through the the, the process here, because I think this will be interesting for for some folks. Um, now mixing. A CD. I know you also mix. So, kind of, what is that? Well, uh, mixing is where you take all the individual instruments that you've recorded, and vocals, and whatever else that's that's become an element of this record. Cowbell, more cowbell, cowbell right? Uh, <laughs> and 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 you have control of all those individual elements, and you. Basically, it's a matter of getting those things that need to be loud, loud enough. Those things that don't need to be that loud, not loud. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pushing and pulling levels. Louder than, softer than is basically what it amounts to. Now, in addition to the louder than, softer than, you can also create apparent louder than or apparent softer than by how you treat the actual tone of the of the instrument. If you want to make the instrument much more, you know, much 
uh, louder sounding or harsher sounding or whatever, you can add mid-range EQ to it so that it barks out a little bit more. If you if you want if you want to make it if you want to make it more subtle, if you want to you know, then you can take some of that because mid-range is what our ears is most is are most sensitive to. So you put a bunch of mid-range on something and you can make it sound irritating in a hurry. But you put just a <laughs> just a, a right amount of mid-range and it kind of helps it jump out of the speakers a little bit better. Um, you know, uh, it's 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 the overall mixing involves not only the louder than, softer than, or the or EQing individual sounds so that they complement each other or do what they need to do in the record, but also your the 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 the, the space. The, mm -hmm. You know, where is it? Uh, in the stereo perspective. Well, the banjo is all the way on the left side. You mean that to happen? Well, yeah, actually I did mean that to happen. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, I put it over there on, in, in, on, on, you know, on purpose. I had a reason for it. I don't remember what that reason was, but I did. And that's why I want, and that's where, that's where it lives. It states over there. Yeah. Okay. One, one of my favorite things that you've ever mixed for me was on the timeless truth, um, Hymns project, the opening sequence where we was going into this camp meeting style revive us again, but you pulled it out of thin air and said, "Hey, let's do an antiphonal choir of you, and uh, you know, make about a thirty-five, forty-second piece." And I think it ended up being thirty-six of me. And of course, yeah. you had to explain what antiphonal even was, but um, <laughs> but the way that it's mixed, you put it in your in your car, and you hear. All these different parts jumping around from the front right speaker, the back left speaker, and you know all that kind of stuff. That that is that that's a, a fun piece, and uh, really showed off your your mixing capabilities. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That was uh, that was a lot of fun to do, uh, but it, but it kind of goes to illustrate what what I'm talking about. You, you in, when you're mixing, you have control of space, so you can you can determine where things happen and sometimes one of the things that makes it easier for things to happen is if suddenly they happen somewhere where nothing else is happening so you've got yeah. an antiphonal for those of you who are following along at home uh <laughs> you know has to do with uh with one choir being in one place and another choir being in another place it's it's and, an Old Testament and New Testament idea as well, and they answered one another, saying, or and the angels sang, "Holy, holy, holy." You know the the responsive nature, um, and even in the early church, a liturgical. You know the the people on the stage saying one thing, or the music leader saying one thing, and then the choir, uh, the the congregation answering back to to the to the worship leader. Uh, I believe the, that those are all examples of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you've got something happening over here, maybe on the right side or just right of center. And then, and it's, and it, and it may be kind of massive. It may be kind of loud, but if you, if you want to introduce another part, if you put it right there where that other part is, it's going to make it hard to hear it. But if you put it somewhere else in the, in the picture, it's like, mm -hmm. ooh, that, what, what's that over there? Ooh, that's kind of interesting. Let me listen to that. Let me, yeah. let me, let me let my ear get tugged over in that direction. Well, so, it's, it's uh, th you, this is what I remember you telling me about it. They used to put 
uh, the audience on the ground, and then there was a tower over here, a tower over here, and a choir yep. was in each tower. And so it was like medieval stereo. Exactly. <laughs> right and left. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Yep. They did it with they did it with they did it with early brass choirs, and it was and, and a lot of times it was just called tower music. Mm. Okay. Okay. Now, going for mixing, what is mastering? Now, I don't know if you've mastered before, but I know, uh, man, Keith Compton. I, I just don't. I, I honestly, I don't know quite what's different when he gets done with it. I just know it sounds better. So, what's the difference between mixing and mastering? Well, mixing, you're you're taking each individual song as its own entity. And you're trying to make it sound as good as you possibly can, and get and and and, and you know, make it get what you wanted, what get what you had originally envi- originally envisioned out of that record. Mm-hmm. Once you've got that, and say ten or eleven more tunes like that that are going to comprise the album, then it's the mastering engineer's job to take those ten or twelve individual mixes or more. And make that into a cohesive album, mm-hmm. and yep. so uh, so what that in, what what that involves. I mean, there's some basic technical stuff that it involves. We're going each individual song will be evaluated for level for its overall loudness, its overall sonic EQ. Hmm. Is this is song number two as bright sounding as song number one? We've got it about as loud as song number one, but it, doesn't it sound a little dull compared to song number one? Well, maybe we just need to add a little top end to kind of brighten that up. Um, you know, it's or is or is song number three? Has that got too much bottom in? Is that is that a little puffy on the bottom? Can we you know, you know get get rid of a little of that? Now, pu- puffy is the technical term, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not I'm going to tell you, uh, the less technical you can think about this stuff, the better off you are. You can get <laughs> lost. You can no. I'm serious. You can get lost in all these numbers. I mean, you read all these. You see all these YouTube, all these tutorials about how to record, and you look at read these articles and stuff. And I, you know, and I and I read this stuff. A lot of this stuff because there's always something I can learn. But so much the so much of it gets bogged down in numbers, frequency numbers. Well, you need to add. You need to you need to take out 380 hertz here. Well, really, why, why should I take out 380 hertz? Why shouldn't I cut it maybe 382 hertz? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's like this does not make a difference. I mean, we're talking, and 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 somebody's going to jump all over me for, for making that statement, but um, <laughs> but really, you're talking about frequency areas you're talking about you know mid-range areas and you've got low mid-range and you've got you know harsh mid-range and you've got upper mid-range uh you know you've got the your your high frequencies your air frequencies um you know in the in 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 the in the bottom end you've got the, the 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 puffiness you've got the thump you've got the the cardboard box area um you know the, that that's the terms that I think in terms of, and I know about where those areas are. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm going to start. But I'm not going to just say, "Oh, okay, well, cardboard box is 400 hertz," and I'm going <laughs> to and my my kick drum sounds like a cardboard box, so I'm going to roll out at 400 hertz. And you know what? It'll make it sound better. 
But 400 hertz might not be the best place. So I'll, I'll use the, the equalizer to f- try to find the area that seems to, seems to help me the most. Um, and, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so, so it gives me a place to start, but it's not necessarily giving me a place to finish. You use your ears to figure out where to finish. But, you, but, I, but to me, it just makes a whole lot more sense. And I get this, and I got this from Ed C. I remember Ed telling me this. He says, you know, we're, we, we think about this in terms of things that we can relate to. Nobody can relate to 1,200 hertz. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't make no. really much of a statement, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean... Uh, but, you know, if you say, I want a little more drive on this vocal, 12 to 15 hertz is going to give you some more drive on the vocal. Now, what do I mean by drive? Well, make it push through a little bit more. Make it sound a little bit harder, a little more aggressive. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to get that a lot of times somewhere in that, in that frequency area. Okay. So that's why. That, so the whole point of this, which I've probably so there's there's no particular way to say it. If you say puffy, or if you say you know those noodles are a little too al dente, you know, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Any, anything that gives you a picture, the the guy mastering it can figure something out if he's good. Right. Well, and and the other the 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 the, the great thing about mastering, we, I don't know that we've completely said what mastering is it, it involves because, you know, you know, I, we we've talked about uh, the you know making sure the songs sound about the right, right loudness, you know, from song to song, and the and the EQ is uh, pretty consistent from song to song. Um, you know, you're all, you're also concerned with the gap between the songs. How much space are we leaving between the songs? Yeah. Which is part of making an album. I mean, you know, when when you're doing a playlist on on iTunes, everything's got a two second gap. But a two second <laughs> gap is not necessarily going to be enough in some cases. If you're coming out of a barn burner, yeah. You know, I, you I hate to- shuffle, and I, I've talked about this with. So many of my guests, I'm not going to bug you with it, but I'm just going to state it one more time. I hate shuffle. Okay, go ahead. Okay, well, um, you know, it's sometimes you, you want just very little space between, yeah. between songs. Well, in some albums, so, the, 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 the fade out of one track just bleeds goes, over goes, into the next, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's all part of it. In addition, with with CDs, of course, then the uh, the PQ codes have to be put in. All the all the the uh, uh, the information regarding you know the song, the artist, uh, you know the the album title, the song title, the artist name. Uh, all that stuff has to be put in, so it'll display on your you know car CD player if you still have a car CD player. Um, <laughs> Well, and, uh, my, mine is mine has. They're going back to uh, eight tracks, so you know, because they went back to LPs and now they're back to eight tracks. Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! Okay, so uh, so yeah, you know the but but to me the value of mastering, and this is why I will. I mean, I've I've mastered some stuff, um, you know, but 
I don't want to master anything that I've worked on. When I get Keith Compton to master an album that I've worked on, what I'm really doing, and I know he's going to do a good job, um, but what yeah. I'm really look, what I'm really wanting is, is a pair of objective ears, someone who has not been living with this project day in and day out for no telling how long, because you can't help but start losing objectivity a little bit. So oh, I can yeah, I yeah. can send I can send stuff to him and he can hear immediately because he's not just mastering my stuff he's mastering other people's stuff he's listening to all sorts of different things and if he pulls mine up and mine sounds like automatically man this is dull sounding what's the matter with you at least <laughs> you know it's like okay well it, that that tells me something and and, I, and, I, and I'll get him to talk to me when he finishes mastering I said I'll ask him I said what did you have to do and he'll tell me what he what he did. Because I'm always thinking, okay, what do I need to do to make my monitoring system better? What do I need to do to make uh, to to make what I'm doing translate better? You know, to to a, to a CD master. Well, and I know one thing that uh, you've told me before is is you'll do your mix on your professional speakers and all that kind of stuff, and then you'll listen through headphones. You'll put it in the car and drive around with it. You'll put it on, you know, different mediums to hear how it translates. Uh, right. In all the different environments that right. people are going right. to listen to it in, right? And you know, and this, you know, we we've done that. I've done that. We've done that all my my entire career. When I started working at Web Four in 1979, there were three sets of speakers that we listened to. There were the what we called the big flamethrowers of JBL 4350s with two 15-inch speakers and a 12-inch, you know, in each in each. I mean, those things were huge, <laughs> and they got really really loud. Um, and then we had a set, a set of bookshelf speakers that sat, you know, uh, about five or six feet on the other side of the of the console. Yeah, and which which were kind of like what people listen to at home. And then we had the little auratones, which were kind of nasty sounding speakers, but but were a pretty good simulation for what it sounded like, what it was going to sound like on the radio, on the car radio. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so now, you know. Now I work basically with my one set of, of speakers that are about the size of bookshelf speakers that we were working with, you know, back in, back in those days. But uh, I'm also working, I'm also listening in the car, and the car is kind of the acid test. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with a, with a car, your, your, your speakers are isolated. You don't have, I mean, you know, your left speaker is completely isolated from your right speaker. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, you've got some you've got some road noise going on. You've got, you know, the 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 inherent noise of of the car going on. So you have to listen sort you know a little louder than you may listen to normally. Uh, but yeah. I find that but I find that the fact that I'm driving and I'm having to pay attention to the road and I can't just concentrate on. You know, every nuance of the record makes it much more obvious when there's something wrong that I would have missed if I'd focused on the on the trees instead of the forest. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm driving along and I'm thinking, well, why in that why in that line is is why in that vocal line as loud as the one before? That needs to be a little bit louder. And I've got a little I've got a little mini recorder that I carry with me in the car, and. You know, I'm listening to the and I'm 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 listening to the mixes and I'm making comments on this little recorder of, you know, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to change this. And then I come back home 
And the first thing I do is pull up the individual mixes and listen to my little recordings and make those changes. Okay. And then I'll, and then I'll make me another, another disc and take it out in the car and listen again and see how mm -hmm. we did. And sometimes I'll do that like three or four times before I've got, before I've got what I feel like I've, what I feel like is a finished, finished prod, project. Now, I'm not going to get into, um, you know, anything that's completely out of your wheelhouse in terms of, uh, you know, what's the difference between duplicating and replicating and all that. We can get to that with somebody else. But are there any other terms that I'm forgetting, a step along the process that um, that would, would fit in here before we wrap up this section? I mean, we covered Puffy. Right, and, right, you know, right. So... <laughs> <laughs> right. I, you know, I, th I think maybe the only thing that we haven't really broken down, we didn't really talk about overdubbing. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah. And uh, so, so you've got your you know, core rhythm section, keys, bass, guitar, right, drums. Right. right. And there will be and there will be some overdubbing involved at the studio. In other words, if 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 we've got Kelly in there playing guitar and he says, hey, let me get give me another track. I got an idea. Mm -hmm. And it's like. Kelly's always say, got another idea. It's like, I'm not going to say, no, Kelly, no, you can't have another track. I'm going to say, absolutely, <laughs> because if you got an idea, it's going to be great, and I want it, you know? Because, and, and, and I don't think I mentioned this when I'm talking about how, the, how great these players are. It's not just a technical mastery of their instrument. It's the musical ideas that they bring to the table that they contribute to making your record better. Oh, man, um, yeah. Yeah. And, hey, I've got an idea. Okay, great. Well, let's hear it. And sometimes it might not be what you had in mind, but, boy, most of the time it's, it's worth it. You know, hey, I got it. Okay, now give me another track and let me put a little harmony on this little part right here. Well, of course, this is, this is actually done in the studio, but after we've cut the basic track. We've got a basic track, you know, that, that everybody's happy with. And, that, and that's when this, when this part of the overdubbing process happens, you know. So we'll, we'll get some of that stuff done with the guys who were there on the floor, the guys who were there that day. And then when we're through with them and we're, we're, we're on to the next songs and all that kind of stuff, and, and, the, and then we get our, our tracks cut, and we've got our basic tracks with those overdubs that we did on the spot, overdubs being basically just to define that, stuff we dub over, we record over our existing over our existing track or add to our existing track. Well and to to flesh that out just a little bit, but also to just brag on Kelly since you know his name came up, but I could do this with any of them. Uh on the song that we did from Rich Mullins called Hard and we did uh, you know kind of a different a feel, more modern take on that and there's an, an instrumental in the middle that's, you know, several bars. It's not a short one. But yeah. Kelly you know, first time through, he just scorches this wonderful, you know, lead guitar lick. And it's like, wow, okay, that's great. And then he said, give me another track. And I'm like, no, don't cover it up. And what he did, this just goes to the not just the ideas, not just the mastery of their instrument, but the memory involved. He plays a harmony with what he just did that's several right. bars long. Right. And it's like... Wow. Okay. Right. You've never done this before, but you just nailed a instrumental and then played a harmony with it, even when you've just heard the instrumental the first time. So you know he he dubbed over and added something else to what was already there. So, right, right. 
So we get through with all this, the whole process and we leave the tracking studio and we bring everything back over here um, to AFAB studio to finish up. And we're gonna, we're gonna add, you know, of course we're gonna do our vocals here. We're gonna do our background vocals here. But we may, you may have a, somebody that you wanna bring in like Buddy Green to do harmonica on mm -hmm. a song yeah. or yeah. two. Or clarinet, penny whistle, saxophone, yeah. brass section. Yeah, any of that stuff, and we'll bring bring them in here and do it. And that and that's also part of the overdubbing process because we're still adding to our recording until we have, you know, everything that we want. Once we've got everything we want, then we can start the mixing process. And then one uh, one thing that uh, one song we worked on called "Man Against Man." Well, I remember we did so many overdubs. We ended up with seventeen different instruments on one song, and they're not all on it at the same time. You have to go kind of listen to the song. But we were trying to paint a picture a picture on the on the tapestry of the lyric, and it it turned out so good. I was so happy with that. But and, and that then the of one course, that, is that the one that has jug on it? It does. It has jug. Okay, good. Yeah, that's your your solo, but um, but then we, you know, and then we didn't get into background vocals and all that. I mean, you, you know, bringing Reggie and Lady, you bring in Angie Prim and and, and Gail Mays, and you know, just a lot of folks. I mean, I do a lot of my own backgrounds. You've done some of my backgrounds, um, so yeah, it's um, it's it's a very very fun process. You know, it's like watching uh, a piece of art come together layer by layer and uh you know the, the colors all coming together and you don't know quite what it's gonna right gonna be but it always with all the different influences of the players and the session leaders and engineers producers it 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 becomes something much better than you could have done on your own yeah it's almost because like there's so many contributing factors it's almost like putting together a picture puzzle but you don't know exactly what the picture is going to look like until until you've got it put together, you know. <laughs> and hopefully it's going to look better than, than than you had thought it was going to look. But oh yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, okay. Well, let me let me close out this section by kind of looping back around because this interests me. You're taking all of these uh, processes of mixing and engineering and 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 all that kind of stuff. Take what you do today back to 1978 when you were cutting tape. <laughs> I mean, you said that was the golden era, but you know, I know you have much more control over the stuff now as it's in Pro Tools. I mean, you can you can do so much with with the vocals and and getting just the perfect mix. But why was when you stepped in the golden era, and what's the downsides of today plus uh, versus the the bonuses of today that you would miss if you went back? Who? Well, um, it's kind of a loaded question. Let me see how I can capsulize <laughs> it. Uh, I think the big thing for me, and you know, you know how exciting this is when you've got, you know, when you've got a room full of real players all playing together. Oh man, yeah. Um, you know, and that's what I—that's what I cut my teeth on. We would have a room full of players all playing together in the same room, and they're creating something. Well, and I guess that's one one question. I did. How much control, if any, did you have 
over the individual players? I mean, or was it kind of all just coming into one thing? Like I picture the, you know, the, the, the quartet, you know, four guys standing around one mic. It's like they were mixing themselves. You had no control over, you know, the bass is too, too hot here. The tenors, you know, not loud enough, you know, how was I mean? Is that kind of how the studio was then? You gathered everybody around <laughs> Mike no, and turned no, loose. No, no, I didn't. I didn't get started quite that early. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, back in the, you know, if you if you're going to go back to the twenties, the nineteen twenties, a hundred years ago, then yeah, they're all standing up. They were had, they recorded into a recording horn. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't assume you were there. It's like you know. it's like you're too loud. Back <laughs> up. Um, no, we because like I, like I said earlier, we when I by the time I started, uh, twenty four track was pretty much the standard twenty four track on two inch tape, and um, so you would have twenty four different channels of information that you could record. Um, you know, we had to make it all work within the framework of 24 tracks, which meant that you had to sometimes combine things. Well, we don't have a blank track for triangle, but we only need triangle in the second half of the verse, and the saxophone's not doing anything on the second half of the verse, so let's put the triangle in on the saxophone track. So your track sheet's got sax and triangle. Well, God, you know, it would be great if we had a woodblock happening in the beginning of the third verse. Well, saxophone's not happening in the beginning of the third verse any either, so we'll add woodblock in the first in the first part of the third verse. Uh, so you've got you've got several things that are on the same tracks, which makes okay, mixing that's interesting. Which, which makes mixing sometimes a little bit more of a challenge. And it's it's fun to go back and 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 look at some tra- some old track sheets, and I still have a few left over, and see some of the stuff that, that ended up sharing tracks with something else. You might have a you know have background parts with a you know sharing a track with a percussion part, uh, and uh, one of the great practices that Ed C. taught me was anytime you're having to do this kind of thing where you're going to bounce things down to, to, to try to free up tracks, uh, always make sure you have a really good mix to work with so that hopefully you'll, put, you'll be able to put that, record that stuff at such a level that it'll mix itself and it won't require a fader move every time you play the thing back for it to, you know, for the sax not to be loud, too loud or the triangle not to be too loud or whatever. They can, mm-hmm. all, they can okay. all kind of sit in the same place. Um, you know, and, and, and that was, the, 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 the fact that we had some limitations like that meant that we had to have better practices of trying to maintain good working mixes, rough mixes to work with. Um, you know, understanding recording levels, how much we could get away with, how little we could, you know, you know, how little level we could put on understanding what transients do, transients being the in- initial burst of energy from like a snare drum or any kind of a percussive instrument, what a, sna- what a transient signal does to analog tape. So we can't cut a snare drum at the same level, looking at a VU meter, as we would cut a, a vocal because the snare drum would just overpower, overdrive the uh, the tape, and it would sound distorted. It's understanding mm-hmm. all. It's yeah. understanding all that stuff. That was what gave me a great training ground. You know, if we had to record stuff backwards, now I can take a, I can take anything in Pro Tools, and I can, you know, highlight an area and hit the reverse <laughs> button, and it will play backwards. But back in the day, if we wanted to record something backwards, and we did every now and then. 
Um, <laughs> it was sort of an ordeal because you actually physically had to take the tape and turn it upside down on the machine. And then you uh-huh. had to count your tracks backwards because now all your tracks are upside down. So what's, what, you, what was track one is now track 24. <laughs> so if you were going to record on track 12, let's see, we'll see, 12, uh, or so let's make it easier. Let's see, we're going to track on, uh, record on track four. Then mm-hmm. you would have to be recording on track 21. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, you, you just, it's, it was it was that kind of stuff, and then you have to figure out where you are with the tape going backwards, which isn't always as easy as you would think for a player to do an overdub backwards. <laughs> uh, I mean, that that was kind of that was kind of interesting. So, you, if you were recording stuff backwards, it was it was kind of a process. Wouldn't it be easier just to have the players turn the chord charts upside down? You know, it was funny. We had a um, <laughs> we had a a, a session uh, piano player down in in um, Atlanta who was an incredible piano player. Uh, you know, play just come in the studio, sit down at the piano that's now in my studio, and just start rattling off Chopin stuff. And he was, was great. And we actually got him one time to. Um, to play a part backwards, reading the chart backwards, with the tape <laughs> with the tape on the machine backwards, and oh, and he did it in one take, and he's literally we had the chords we had the chords written out, uh, <laughs> and he's reading the chords you know from the bottom right you know up to the top left, and he nailed it, and it's like wow Gosh. this is amazing. So then we asked him to do something fairly simple. He could not get it. It was just, I don't know. I don't know if his brain went into overload, but it was, anyway. <laughs> He's still thinking in backwards. Yeah, but. yeah. So, okay. I'm done. What's next? Well, I hope that you enjoyed this time that we spent together. I know that I have, and I pray that it has made you more appreciate the forms and functions of worship and the gifted people who help facilitate it. Continue the conversation by emailing any questions or suggestions you may have through my website at www.milespipemusic.com. That's M-I-L-E-S-P-I-K-E music.com. Support this endeavor by rating, reviewing, and sharing. If you want to go the extra mile, then I would greatly appreciate it if you purchase some digital downloads or hard copies of my music through the website and patronize our guest in any way that you can. Websites and details to that end will be in the show notes. This program plans to release every other week, so keep your eye out for the next edition of the Miles Pike Podcast. Till next time, worship wisely. <laughs>